0: Well hey, good morning. How we doing? Good. Hey, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to a Lamentations three. If you have your Bibles out, turn them to Lamentations three and i'm so thankful to be here with you and um if you've been coming to our church for a while this week is kind of an interesting transition week last week we finished up the series we've been doing this fall which has been our series on worldviews and next week begins christmas at harvest so next week when you come there's going to be lights and christmas trees and we're going to have a really really fun time celebrating the birth of Jesus, the coming Messiah, uh, together over the month of December. And and this week is always kind of a weird transition week. So we're like, all right, what are we going to preach on when we kind of have a one-off or we can preach on anything? So we thought it would be a really good idea to preach on suffering and darkness, right? I, I feel like that's fitting. And couple of reasons why we decided to do that. The first reason we decided to do it is because we knew that Michigan played Ohio State this weekend, and it's always really good to preach on suffering and darkness when Ohio State destroys Michigan, but it didn't happen this year. We won. Like, they totally messed with our plans, and I see just a um, disgusting amount of maize and blue even in this service today, so I know we're happy about that, and maybe we'll, we'll have to bring the... Uh, The wolverine fans down a notch um but here's a a a more serious reason why we decided to because i think even as we enter this holiday season there is a sense of darkness and heaviness still isn't there like here's what i mean we're two years almost into this covid thing does it feel like we've seen the light at the end of the tunnel yet no do we know when that's coming no like as of last week hospitals were overrun Schools are shutting down again. There's new variants with names I can't even pronounce that they're talking about. And it's just like, man, I'm tired of it. And and like on a personal level, it's really really difficult right now to to staff services and to get volunteers because so many people in our church are getting hit with the virus or, or, or having to quarantine i was talking to marty this week pastor marty who oversees our small group and i'm like marty i feel like a terrible small group leader we haven't met in like six weeks but four of our seven couples have had covid go through their house and he's like it's it's really really difficult um we found out three hours before church last night um that my dad tested positive So he's home right now. He was watching online at the nine o'clock service, but I was supposed to just preach here uh, today, but I just came from Spring Lake at the nine. I'm here. I'll go back for the 11. We're just constantly in a state of scrambling. And it's like, man, I'm just tired of it. And uh, the book of Lamentations, it's interesting. It's really a book that's written about suffering and about the darkness. And, and, And Jeremiah Lamentations is written by Jeremiah, and and Jeremiah is an interesting guy. He's called the weeping prophet in the Bible, And, and here's why. Because Jeremiah's entire life in ministry was miserable. Jeremiah was a prophet To the nation of judah right before judah gets wiped out by the assyrians right before everyone goes into captivity in babylon and and, and jeremiah he's preaching to a nation that no longer follows god that doesn't listen they hate jeremiah because he's speaking for the lord that they don't follow anymore and the whole time he's like you think it's bad now the assyrians are coming and you're going to get wiped out he knows it's coming the whole time no one listens to him. He gets in prisons. There's plots to kill Jeremiah almost constantly. And this is people in his own country, not even talking about the Assyrians who are known for their brutality and wickedness that are about to take Judah over. Sound like a fun gig, huh? That was his life in ministry And in Lamentations, Jeremiah is basically mourning to God about the state of Israel spiritually, what's happening physically to the people, and the state of Jeremiah's life. In Lamentations 3, where we pick up, he's going to just talk about how he feels um, personally. And and I'm going to warn you, I'm just going to read the next 20 verses. This is some of the darkest stuff in the entire Bible right here. Here's what it says. He says this. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Pretty rough, huh? All right, it gets worse. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He has turned aside my steps and he tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become a laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace, and I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, and so is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Sounds a lot like a really bad Adele song, doesn't it? Like, like this is really dark. And, And I think in all of Scripture, this might be the most brutally honest, darkest passage in all of Scripture. Jeremiah is depressed, he's angry, and he's despondent. So here's a question. Why is this in the Bible? Why does God in his sovereignty allow us to see a moment where Jeremiah is absolutely at his end? Here's why, and this is the first point in our notes, it's this, there's a universal reality that's true for all of us, and it's that life gets dark. And we just did a series on worldviews. Here's the truth, it doesn't matter what worldview you hold to, life gets dark and suffering comes for everyone. It doesn't matter how much you have, how moral you are, how healthy you are, darkness and suffering comes for us all, and this is something that I don't just believe in my head, but after 13 years of ministry, I know to be true in my heart. I have walked through some of the darkest moments in people's lives. It's part of my job as a pastor. It comes for everyone. I even think about the holidays. The holidays can be dark, right? Like at at a time that's supposed to be about celebration and family and, and festivity. For a lot of people, it's the first holiday since dad's been gone. It's the first holiday since mom was diagnosed, or maybe the holidays are are a picture of everything that's broken in your life, and the relationships that aren't there anymore, and and the family that's been torn apart through conflict. And, And I know that in our country, historically, Thanksgiving weekend, there's an uptick in suicides. Because even though what's supposed to be a time of celebration can turn uniquely dark. So why is this in scripture? Well, 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. So God's trying to teach us something by exposing us to Jeremiah's heart. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible's not scared of the dark. In, in, in fact, I would argue that the Bible is way more honest than you and I are. And, and here's what I mean. Like, we are, are really, really good at putting on a facade and pretending like things are okay when they're not okay, Right? like we play this game with people where you run into someone at church and they're like, how are you doing? And you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm doing great. Good to see you. Everything's good. Right? And in the background, you're like, you have no idea where your kids are. Your house is on fire. Your spouse is Googling how to get away with murder. Right? Like everything is a mess. And no, everything's good. Everything's okay. Like we're doing great. In fact, I would argue that we are so good at playing this game that if I were to go to Pastor Marty and be like, hey, Marty, how are you doing? And if Marty's like, dude, I'm not doing good. It gets awkward doesn't it like we don't know what to say we don't know how to respond because we're so used to just going through the motions motions, pretending like things are okay when they're not but the Bible doesn't do that it's honest with the dark moments and I've titled this message surviving the dark moments and we're going to see in this text two necessities we need to survive the darkness here's the first when life is dark I have to win the war over my thoughts when life is dark i have to win the war over my thoughts look at verse 21. this is what jeremiah says so he's just gone through 20 verses talking about how he feels and he says but this i call to mind and therefore i have hope the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness all right now if you take notes or underline things in your bible Underline verse 21, star it, do whatever you need to, because this is the turning point in the text. He's gone through 20 verses saying, everything is terrible. But then he goes, but this I call to mind. He's choosing about what he thinks about. And it's that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what's interesting is, is this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Like, how many of you have heard of those verses before? That his mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Like, we put these on cute mugs that we give to friends, and what we don't realize is the first 20 verses, he's talking about getting ripped apart like a, from a bear. We don't get the context, but he's like, no, 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 even though I don't feel it, here's what I know to be true, that God is faithful, that he loves me, and that his mercies are new every morning. And here's what Jeremiah is teaching us right here. He's teaching us to identify what is true and what are lies. What is true and what are lies. Do you know that in John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies? That's the name he gives Satan. And what he's explaining is is that Satan's number one tactic to keep us enslaved to sin, it's not to force us, it's not to wrestle us down, it's to simply whisper us lies. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He did it to Jesus when he's in the wilderness. He tells us lies. He gets us to doubt what we know to be true about God, and that will lead us into slavery and bondage. And I would argue that it's in the darkness in times of suffering where the lies come at you thick and fast. Satan knows what he's doing and when life is hard you're going to be bombarded with lies and what I need to do is I want to talk about three dangerous lies the darkness produces maybe you're wrestling with these right now here's the first the first lie I think this is the most common one is we believe the lie that suffering is not part of the plan when we are suffering when life is dark we believe the lie that suffering is not part of the plan especially in a secular culture where we have a worldview that believes there is no God, there is no eternity. Suffering serves no purpose. And it's just to be avoided at all costs. And it's easy for us when life is difficult to be like, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? What have I done to deserve this? Where are you? This shouldn't be part of the plan. But that's a lie. It's interesting. If you were to go back and look at Jeremiah 1, you see how Jeremiah gets called into ministry. And what happens is, is God shows up to Jeremiah in a dream in, in Jeremiah 1. And, and God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go be a prophet. And, and Jeremiah's like, I'm just a boy and I'm not even a public speaker. I don't really know how to talk well. I don't think I'm the right guy. And God's like, no, no, Jeremiah, I've called you to do this. I'm going to be with you. You're the right guy. Just tell me what you see. And God gives Jeremiah a vision, and this vision is of impending doom for Judah from a foreign nation. So ever since Jeremiah was a boy, God gives him this vision that that, that Judah's going to be overthrown. Like, it is a prophecy that's going to bring about suffering right from the beginning. God knew... Jeremiah, I'm calling you to a life where people aren't going to like what you have to say. There's going to be plots to kill you. You're going to be thrown in prison. Jeremiah's suffering was part of God's plan. It wasn't separate from it. Uh, Just this week, my sister sent me a message from a a pastor named Dr. Chuck Swindoll. And some of you are familiar with that name. He uh, used to be the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's in his 80s now, 60 years of faithful ministry. And um, he started his message saying this. He was actually preaching back at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said this. He says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and then he crushes them. That's how he opened it. And he said, actually, the part of the plan for God in Scripture when he's about to use someone in a significant way is he will crush them. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see it with David. Right? How many years did David spend hiding in the wilderness from Saul who was out to kill him simply because David got anointed as king? Right? We see it with Abraham where God says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, but before that, uh, you're going to have decades and decades and decades of infertility and you're going to doubt whether this plan will actually happen or not. We see it with Moses having to, to wander around in the wilderness fearing for his life over and over and over again. When God is about to do something amazing through someone, he brings them low. And church, here's why. And I need to remind you of this. God's goal for your life is not to do what is easiest for you. It's to do whatever it takes to make you most like Jesus. To mold you into the image of his son. God wants the most for you to be holy and he will do whatever it takes to shape us and mold us into that image. And a lot of times that means going through the, po- the fire of pain and suffering. Chief Justice to the Supreme Court, John Roberts, was once asked to give a commencement speech to his son's ninth grade graduation class. So John Roberts, the guy who's ascended to the highest level of law in our country, he's asked to give a speech to a bunch of snot-nosed ninth graders, all right? And, And his speech is famous. It's fascinating. You can look it up online. Here's what he titled his speech. He titled it, I Wish You Bad Luck. And here's what he tells these ninth graders. He says, I hope that you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal from someone you trusted because that will teach you the value of loyalty I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you never take your friends for granted. And when you lose, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It will teach you to understand the value of sportsmanship. I hope that you are ignored. It will teach you the importance of listening to others. And I hope that you'll have just enough pain to learn compassion." See, here's the truth. There isn't growth without suffering. There isn't growth without pain. And this lie... That, that God is somehow absent from the darkness or our suffering, we need to identify it for what it is. If I could be completely transparent, this is a reality that's hitting my family in a unique way right now. I have a, a cousin who is a few years younger than me. He and his wife are in their late 20s and uh, grew up with them, we're really close with them. They live out of, in another state. Um, he is a pastor just like I am, has kind of given his life to ministry. And uh, just a couple months ago, um, his wife got diagnosed with a terminal illness. Out of the blue, super rare, no real treatment plan. Like, if this is what the doctors are saying, she, she's going to, to die and die relatively soon. So they're in the process of second opinions and treatment plans and all of that stuff. But it, it's easy in those moments, but like, God, where are you in this? Why are you allowing this to happen? This can't be part of the plan. This doesn't make any sense. But, church, here's what we need to understand. We don't get to doubt in the darkness what God has made known to us in the light. And here's what God has proven to us over and over and over again, that he is faithful, that he is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit, that there is nothing outside of the loving hands of God that he allows to happen to us, and that he will be faithful to us today, tomorrow, and into eternity. So we trust that God is good and he's in control and he will be glorified through it. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. He writes this. Listen to what he says here. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And I love what he says when he says, we're afflicted in every way, in every possible way we're suffering, but we're not crushed. And then he says, we're perplexed. He's like, we don't even understand it. We don't get why it's happening. But we're not destroyed because we know that God is good, and part of experiencing the life of Christ is that we will have to go through the sufferings and death of Christ. And if we have to go through that so that Christ's life can be manifested in you, it's worth it. God is not absent from the suffering. Here's the second lie we've got to fight against it's this that this is all my fault. I think it's easy when we're suffering to think that we're the problem man is got angry with me did i do something wrong uh, um it, it, what could i have done differently I, I i should have done this or that we can beat ourselves up and um i had a friend tell me once as she said cal you've got to stop taking responsibility for everyone's actions she goes cal you carry the weight of what people do on your shoulders in an unhealthy way and, and she's like "Cal, when everything's going good you take too much credit when everything's going bad it crushes you, and you take on way more blame than you should. She said, Cal, sometimes people are just going to people. Sometimes sin is just going to sin, and you can't stop it, you can't control it, and it's not a reflection of you. And I didn't want to hear that at the time, but I I needed to because I can take to personally things when things are going wrong, and I can be like, man, this is all my fault, and I should have done this differently, and I can beat myself up. I believe the lie that that, that somehow I could have stopped it. But I think the other side of the pendulum, another not lie that we've got to guard against, is the lie that says that none of this is my fault. Right? Sometimes when, when we're going through suffering, we get defensive and we get hard hearted and we blame everyone else. And it's my parents' fault for how they raised me, it's my dad's fault for not being around enough, it's my spouse's fault for, for, for how they treat me, it's my work's fault, and none of it's my fault. It's everyone else. We become the victim. And I think we need to have the humility to always be asking ourselves, what can I own? How have I contributed to it? And and sometimes the darkness and suffering we're going through is a consequence of our sin. And so we repent, we own it, we seek forgiveness, but a lot of the time it's a circumstance. It's because we live in a broken world. It's because other people made choices outside of our control that we can't own. We've got to fight against both sides of that pendulum it's interesting in verses 21 through 23 you see Jeremiah start to go to war against the lies he's believing right earlier he's like God is a bear and a lion looking to devour me he's shooting me with arrows and he's like no that's not true those are lies and I've got to set my mind on what is true that God is present that Jeremiah is loved and that God has not abandoned him okay here's the next thing we need to do if we're going to win the war uh, of our thoughts is we need to surround ourselves with good outside voices surround ourselves with good outside voices and um this is something we see jesus do in the gospels right remember of the night he's betrayed he goes into the garden of gethsemane and he is so uh, nervous and worried and, 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 and just gripped with with, with stress that, that he is sweating drops of blood like he's in a really dark place what does he do he tells his disciples i need you to come with me and pray with me i don't want to be alone right now i need your help i need to lean on your support We see this happen in the Old Testament when Elijah comes to a place where he's at his wit's end. He's in the wilderness. He's running from Queen Jezebel. And he's like, God, just take me. No one's listening. No one's faithful. I just want to die. You know what God does? He says, Elijah, you need a friend. And he goes, so go to this town. I, 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 I have a guy there for you. His name's Elisha. He's going to be your protege. He's going to take on after you. But I'm giving you a partner because you need a friend, because you're in bad headspace right now. You can't do this alone. Um, But church, here's what I would say. Um, You need to know what people in your life to listen to and what people not to listen to in dark moments. There are certain people that are going to point your eyes vertically to the Lord, and there's others that are going to feed your flesh and not give you good advice when life is difficult, right? We see this in scripture. Remember the story of Job? Right, Job? His, his kids die. He loses all of his money. He, he's stricken with illness, and, and, and he goes to his wife, and, and when he needs his wife the most, do you know what his wife says to him? He says, hey, Job, how about you curse God and die? It's like, thanks, honey. Love you too. That was super helpful, babe, right? And, and, and then he brings his friends in, and his friend's like, yeah, there must be something wrong with you, or God must be angry with you, or, or what did you do to deserve this? Well, none of it was Job's fault. They gave him bad advice. Um, I remember um, once Mary and I were doing marriage counseling for a couple in our small group, and their marriage was just in a really, really difficult place. And what was interesting is is we would meet every week, and we would meet for a month. And and good ground would be being made. They would start to communicate better. They would start to own things. They'd ask for forgiveness. They would go on date nights. Like like, Things were going well. And and then once a month, the, the, the wife would go have a girlfriend's weekend. And the girls that she hang out with, um, it's like every good step of progress that we made that month was just wiped out in one weekend. Because the voices that the wife surrounded herself with on those weekends was, hey, your husband's a piece of trash. Hey, you'd be so much happier if you were single. Hey, you shouldn't be stuck in a marriage where you're not happy, and the goal of your life is just to be happy. And it was like every, again, ounce of progress we, we made, it just went backwards because of who she was surrounding herself with right there have been times in 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 my life where i've been like hey gabe will you come out and grab coffee with me and i say hey here's what's going on in my life here's what's going on in my heart i need you to speak into it because i trust you that you're not just going to tell me what i want to hear but you're going to push back and you're going to set my eyes vertical um our family's been going through the COVID thing and and so what that means is um, about three weeks ago it started three weeks ago last saturday Um, and my wife got a fever and she ran a fever for 16 days and and then my girls got it and and then Judah, my six-year-old son he got COVID and and here's the crazy thing my eight-year-old son Bo and me we never got it and and here's what doesn't make sense Bo and Judah sleep in the same bed And when they're awake, they spend 80% of the time breathing on each other, touching each other, or wrestling with each other. Like, I don't even understand how this thing works anymore, but here's what I know. I know that through protocols and quarantine and exposure, we're pretty convinced that Bo's allowed to come back to school sometime in 2025, right? That's like what we've just, we've just accepted at this point. Like, it's a disaster. And, And so my wife is running a fever. She's doing school at home with all of the kids. Like, it's just been an exhausting season. Well, our girls kinda got through everything and they were back at school last week and Mary was in the pickup line picking them up from school and one of her best friends came over and was like, hey, Mary, how you doing? And Mary did what we do. She gave a cruddy answer. I'm doing okay, we're hanging in there. And her friend was like, no, you're not. I can see it in your eyes. You're not doing well at all, are you? All right, and then the tears start coming, right? But, but here's what I love. I love that Mary has friends in her life to, to call her out. And to say you're not doing all right like we need to pray about this we need to talk about this we need to be honest and and, and listen if you isolate yourself in times of suffering it's a really good way to fall off a cliff really really quickly then here's the third one and this one's huge we need to resist the urge to live five steps down the road we need to resist the urge to live five steps down the road this is the one i'm really bad at It's easy in times of suffering or darkness to go to the next worst case scenario, to the next worst case scenario, to the next worst case scenario, and all of a sudden I'm wrestling with things in my mind that aren't even real and haven't even happened yet. Do you know the Bible warns against this all the time? In Matthew 6, Jesus tells his disciples, "'Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, "'for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. "'Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.'" When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, pray like this, "'Give us this day our daily bread.'" He's saying, ask God to give you everything you need for the day and just worry about today. Look again at verse 22 in Lamentations 3. Jeremiah tells us this. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you see what Jeremiah is saying there? He's saying, listen, that the mercy of the Lord is new every morning, so he will give you new mercy tomorrow to face whatever that we have to face tomorrow, but he won't give it to you until tomorrow. And and church, here's the big idea, the thing that I, I really want to communicate well right now, it's this, it's that so much of the stress and anxiety in our lives is caused by us confronting problems that we haven't been given the grace for. Listen, when I am five steps down the road and I'm dealing with things that haven't even happened yet, but I'm allowing my mind to be consumed with what might happen, I'm attempting to tackle problems that God hasn't given me grace for yet. He has promised to be faithful and be with me today and give me everything I need to follow him and to live in victory today. And he promises he'll be there with me tomorrow, but he hasn't given me that grace yet today. And so much of the anxiety in our lives is we're worried about what might happen. And the reason we're anxious is because we haven't received the grace for it yet. Like, how much better would we sleep at night? How much more joy in our life would we have if we truly believed that just like God has been faithful to for us yesterday, faithful to us yesterday, just like he is faithful today, that he will actually still be faithful tomorrow. Like, church, you're not going to be alone tomorrow. God Will be faithful. His mercies are new every morning. Jeremiah is finding himself in a place where he's desperate. He's at his wits' end, and he has to remind himself that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. He's not equipped to face tomorrow's challenges yet. All right, so the first way we survive the dark seasons is we have to win the war of our mind. But here's the other thing, and this is equally as important our feet have to follow. My feet have to follow. It can't just be something that lives in my mind. I have to be taking steps and actions of following the Lord, even in the darkness. And it's interesting, I don't have time to turn there, but if you were to look at the rest of Jeremiah's life, guess what he does? He stays faithful to God. Even as the Assyrians are besieging the city and closing in on it, and everything's falling apart, guess what Jeremiah does? He prophesies, and he's faithful, and he doesn't let the darkness win to the very end, he acts on what he knows to be true. He follows the Lord. In Genesis 4, we see another example of this. you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Right, Abel gives a sacrifice to the Lord and it's accepted. Cain gives a sacrifice to the Lord and it's not accepted. And it says when God doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice, it says that he becomes angry and his face falls. And that's a picture of depression, he, he, he goes dark. He becomes depressed, and God meets him in this moment, and in Genesis 4, 6, it says this. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Do you see what God's saying? He's saying, Cain, you have a choice right now. It's dark. You're angry. You're despondent. You can choose to do what is right, and you can move through this dark season, or you can choose to do what is wrong, and sin will overwhelm you. And sadly, we know that Cain chose to murder his brother. God says you have a choice. You can do what's right, or you can let the darkness consume you and I think there's this temptation church that we think like all right once the darkness subsides then I'll get after doing what's right then I'll follow the Lord then I'll take the the, the steps that I need to no no what, what, what God says is no it's in the darkness that we need to make the steps of obedience and so what does this look like pra- practically when life is dark make the small steps of obedience in church here's what i would say when when i am in seasons of suffering or life is dark i try to make my life as simple as possible what is god calling me to today what would glorify him in this moment maybe that's just showing up to work and working hard and giving my best maybe that's just coming to church and singing worship songs and sitting under the authority of his word because i know i need it there have been times where i've been in uh Doing marriage counseling with couples, and, and they're fighting and they're arguing, and it seems like everything's broken. And what I encourage the husband to do, I'm like, just do what a good husband would do this week. Do what God is calling you to right now. And I'm like, so here's what that means plan a date night, get a sitter, get a reservation at a restaurant, go take your wife out to dinner, but like, put some effort into it. I'll, I'll tell the husband, turn off the stupid sports game, watch the cheesy Hallmark movie, smile while you're doing it, and hold your wife's hand. Because that communicates that she's a priority, that you want to serve her, and that you care what she cares about. Help around the house. Be engaged. Ask how she's doing. Be asking yourself, how can I love And serve my wife and here's the cool thing when both sides of the equation are committed to doing the small steps of obedience, massive ground can be made up very very quickly what is the lord calling me to right now i've met with rebellious high schoolers guess what i tell them to do all right you're in trouble you've got a court date coming up you've made some bad decisions here's what you need to do you need to go to school and you need to do your homework you need to go to youth group you need to do whatever your parents ask you to and listen and have a good attitude. Just start doing the right things that will honor the Lord. He will be with you and bless those actions and whatever that you have coming your way, God will be faithful with, in it with you if you commit yourself to him. And then here's the, the last thing. Um, we need to do whatever we can to take our eyes off of ourself. Do whatever you can to take your eyes off of yourself. When life is dark, when things are difficult, it's really easy to be selfish, isn't it? It's really easy just to be consumed with us and what makes us feel good, what we want in the moment. It's very, very easy just to, like, to pull ranks. Well, well, here's what I would argue, right? If you read Philippians 2, it says that, have this same mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, if we want to truly live like jesus it begins with us humbling ourselves and serving others and by the way it's great medicine for our souls in times of suffering like i promise you there's been times where i've had a bad day at work and things aren't going well or i've had a bad meeting and i'll come home and i'll be like mayor can you just like write down a grocery list i just want to serve you like can i just go to the grocery store and get you some groceries and she's like, Cal, I just got the groceries. I don't need that. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to do something helpful. Pretend like you didn't get the groceries. I'll go get more. I just have to do something to get my mind off of what's going on in my life. And I want to serve you. And I want to serve our children. Here's why. Because spiraling into your own darkness and selfishness never leads to joy or life. Joy in life comes as when we love and serve others as greater than ourselves. Then here's another thing i would really encourage you if you're in a season of life that's hard um i am constantly listening to things um i always have a podcast on if i'm in the office and i'm working I'm by myself i'll turn a podcast on or i'll listen to all different ki- kinds of music and um, when i'm going through a difficult season just really really practically i get very very selective about what i'm listening to and, and for me it's primarily worship music I've got to surround myself with things that are going to point my attitude and my eyes vertical. And, and so when I'm in a season where life is difficult and dark, it's like, all right, no more sports podcasts, no more political stuff, no, no, no more um, you know, secular music for a season. I just need to surround myself with worship music because I know that my heart needs to be realigned with what's true. And again, church, if I could just encourage you with anything, um, we know that God has been faithful to us we celebrated at this service in communion haven't we like how much more could God prove himself to us than by giving us Jesus Christ and this is what we begin to celebrate as we look forward to Christmas that God gave us the greatest gift the world has ever known he is faithful he's proven it he's been faithful but church it's easy to doubt what we know to be true when life gets dark And, and so I'm so excited to celebrate christmas as a church family thank you for hanging with me this week as we take a look at the darkness but without the bad news it's hard to celebrate the good news and it's that god has moved towards us in the darkness that he has provided a way for life and hope and joy god is good amen all right let's pray dearly father i thank you for um This church, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for a uh, difficult topic, and God, I thank you for a difficult life. And and God, I'm just struck by the fact that um, Jeremiah's suffering was not in vain. In fact, God, you are so good and powerful and sovereign, you are using the suffering of Jeremiah to bless and shape hearts 3,000 years later. God, that's something that only you could do. You are faithful, you are sovereign, You are present in life's dark moments let us hold on to what we know is true let us call to mind what we know to be true and therefore just like jeremiah we will have hope we love you we need you god i don't know what's going on with every heart in this room but i know that you do so i'm asking that you minister that you're present that you bring to light lies that are being believed in areas that. We need to act and take steps of small obedience. God, would you just make this very, very personal for us right now? We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.